As I have calculated it, this is the 42nd message in this series. That's a lot of preaching on Colossians. 42 sermons, that is at my estimation. I may have missed it by one or two. But we're coming to a close in this series. And I want to do so by sort of drawing some threads together in this epistle. But in doing so, I want to use those words of Paul at the close of the epistle, where he simply says to the Colossians, grace be with you. Grace be with you. The grace of God is a wonderful topic. It's a beautiful subject. And we sing about it so often in our hymn book, Grace, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. There's so many different hymns that we sing on that theme of the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is not only there for our salvation, the grace of God is there for keeping us as believers, for leading us on. The Apostle Peter said, giving this injunction, but grow in grace. He didn't say grow into grace. He said grow in grace. You already are experiencing grace. You already are recipients of grace, but grow in that grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when Paul says to the church there, grace be with you. He's highlighting the fact that there's always a need for grace in the life of a church and in the life of every individual believer. So tonight I want us to think about the grace of God and the need for that grace in various circumstances that are highlighted throughout this epistle. Let us notice, first of all, that there is a need for grace in the service of God as a principle. Notice that he speaks here, first of all, and he says, As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And I'm referring here to chapter 2, verse 6. There is a principle in the Christian life. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, and he's obviously taking it for granted that those to whom he's writing have in fact received Jesus as their Lord. So we have to stop there and say this is most important for us to note. John chapter 1 verse 12 teaches us that as many as received him, and it means believed on him or taken him as their own as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he the power, which means the right or the privilege, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there are those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, but there's a principle of living for such people, and it is, so walk ye in him. You have to live the Christian life life. Now, God's grace is 
a constant wonder and a theme of the Apostle Paul. He talked a lot about grace, and he talked about the fact that it was by the grace of God that he was what he was. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Let me quote it to you. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see here that Paul not only believed by grace, and that's the only way that anyone will believe, but he walked in grace. It was a principle of his life that as he had received Christ Jesus the Lord, so he walked in him. The same type of theme, the same type of emphasis is found in the writings of Peter. Peter magnified the grace of God. There's an interesting Greek word, poikdos, which occurs several times in the New Testament. And Peter uses it twice, both in his first epistle, and which the authorized version translates manifold. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. And then good stewards of the manifold grace of God in chapter 4, verse 10 of that epistle. Now you put those two together. There's, on one hand, you have, as one has explained it, like five digits on one hand, all so different in character from your thumb to your little finger, and they would stand for the manifold trials and testings of life. Some testings are like the thumb. Some testings are like Peter Pointer. Some testings are like Toby Tall. And whatever other names you want to give to the five digits. They stand for the manifold trials and testings of life. On the other hand, you could let the five digits of this hand stand for the manifold grace of God. Now, if you put your right hand over your left you'll observe how the fingers of the grace hand exactly correspond to those of the temptations or trials hand. That's just an illustration. But it's an illustration of a fact that whatever your need is, there is at hand just the very grace to meet that need. Whatever it is that you're having trouble with, there's the thumb, there is grace, there's the thumb to meet that need. That's how God works, by His grace. There's grace for every trial. There's grace for every situation. And so these two apostles, Paul and Peter, they were deeply acquainted with the trials of life, weren't they? And both of them joined in bearing testimony out of their own experience to the all-sufficiency of the grace of God that is available for all emergencies. Paul says to the Colossians, grace be unto you. Peter speaks of the grace of God that is available in times of trial. God himself said to Paul at a time when he was in great distress, on account of what he called a thorn in the flesh, and I'm not going to tell you what that was, I have my own thoughts as to what it was, but whatever it was, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, the grace that I'm going to give you will meet that at your point of need. My grace 
will come to your trial and will cover it and will undertake for it. And in the epistle of the Colossians, there are many situations in which God's provision of grace for our manifold needs could be tested. And one is in this area of the principle, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. This is essential to the healthiness and the happiness of the Christian life. All of us should desire, to a greater or lesser degree, to grow. The question is, and the problem is not what we are to do, but how we're to do it. How are we going to grow? Well, we're going to grow by God's grace. And God's grace is his supply for man's situation. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's desire that you and I, as it was for the Colossians, should make progress in the Christian life. He doesn't want us to stand still. That's why he uses the term, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And the other things that flow from that, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Going on with God, that's what this is. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. You came to him for salvation. You asked him to cleanse you in his precious blood. Now that's only the beginning. That's just the start. You've got to walk in him. You've got to go after him. You've got to follow him, be his disciple. This is what is in view here. This is the principle that Paul begins with. There's a need for grace in the service of God. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You're going to need grace to walk with the Lord, especially in a world where there are terrible trials and troubles to face. But then secondly, there's a need for grace in the service of God because we face a problem. And the problem in particular that was faced by the Colossians is one that we face today, and it is the problem of false teaching. It is true that the Colossian epistle was written to a congregation to warn them and to counsel them about false teaching. And Paul tells them that there is a problem that needs to be faced, and they are to beware of this. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware. When you see that word beware, you know what it means, don't you? It means look out. In many places in the UK, the way to people's houses, there's a gate on the front, there's a pathway up to their home, and sometimes you'll see a big sign on the front of the garden gate, beware of the dog. And that'll be for the mailman, but it'll also be for any of these Hawkers who want to go around doors selling their wares. It'll be for anybody who wants to give out anything at all. Or anybody who's going to come to that house. There may well be a fearsome dog there that's ready to rip half your leg off. Beware of the dog. 
I must confess, a lot of times if I was giving out leaflets for one purpose or another, I quite often would skip to the next house when I saw that on the front of the gate. I just have to be honest about that. Because I've had enough times when dogs took some of my flesh around my ankle. It hurts. I don't like it. I'm allergic to pain. And so I usually move on. And if I could try to locate the person uh, by waving or something like that, to, for them to come to the gate to get the literature, that's good. Beware of the dog. We all know what the word beware means. It's look out. Be careful. And that's what Paul is suggesting here. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. He had to deal with a lot of Greek philosophy, false teaching, the Gnostics, and others who were present in Colossae. And he says it's after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. People teaching falsehoods. You need grace to stand up successfully to false teachings. Let no man beguile you. He said this again in verse 18 of chapter 2. Let no man beguile you of your reward and a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He's warning them about false teachers and false teaching. And in our own day, we are commanded by Jude verse 3 to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We have to be on our guard against false teaching. We are to be wise to seek the grace of diligence in the study of the Word of God. I encourage God's people to study the Bible for themselves. When I went into the theological hall of our church, we were given a lecture on the first day I was there on 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, which says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're here to study. You're here to work. But study is not only the job of pastors and those who have responsibility to teach the word of God, it's also that which every believer should be involved in. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you and he will teach you the truth as you read your Bible. As you study, the Lord will give you discernment. This is the promise of Christ in John 16, verse 13, that the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth. Now, you need to be able to exercise your spiritual smelling capacity. Now, what do I mean by that? The grace of smell. What does that mean? Well, whenever Paul was describing or illustrating the various gifts of the body of Christ's church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he indicated the necessity of this function of spiritual quality. He asked the question, where were the smelling in verse 17? Now, in view of the preponderance and the prevalence of false teaching, it's a good thing to have a spiritual sense of smell. To be so instructed in the Word of God as to be able 
almost instinctively to detect the false. You know how it is in life? There'll be something and you read it or you hear about it and it doesn't smell right. It just doesn't pass the smell test. Well, there's a smell test spiritually. And we can be so exercised in learning God's Word, get so filled and saturated with the Scripture that we begin to have spiritual discernment. We have a sense of spiritual smelling, if you like. Listen to this. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, and I think it's a reference here to the Lord Jesus in prophecy. He says, And shall make him of quick understanding. Do you know in the margin of that verse, Isaiah 11 verse 3, in the margin of that verse it says that the Hebrew word translated understanding really means scent or smell, like a perfume. Isn't that interesting? So that the one who's referred to shall be made by the Holy Spirit a person of keen scent, quickly discerning between the false and the true. That's a gift of grace. And you need to ask the Lord to give you that sense. Sometimes someone will say something that sounds almost like the truth. It's pretty near to the truth, but there's just something about it that doesn't ring correct. It just There's something about it that isn't quite right, and it doesn't pass the smell test. And when you look into it and study it more deeply, you find that it's error, it's falsehood. There's a lot of that in the church today. I say that in a broad sense. We need to have our spiritual sense of smell heightened so that we might stand up successfully to false teaching. Beware lest any man spoil you. This is a, prom- a problem for which we need the grace of God. Thirdly, we need the grace of God in a place. You might say places. Because Paul identifies, especially in chapter number 3, and down into chapter 4, those areas of relationships that we need to be aware of and that we need the grace of God to exercise ourselves in. There's a word, for example, to wives. There's another to husbands, to children, to masters, to servants. All of these different relationships. The Lord speaks of these things. I think whenever we were studying that passage, we talked about the ideal home exhibition. Where I come from every year in a big, massive civic hall in the city of Belfast, they have what's called the ideal home exhibition. They have all kinds of things for your home, new kitchens and drapes and all manner of stuff that they sell these hundreds of acres of covered uh, area. People go there to the ideal home exhibition. Well, Paul gives us his ideal home exhibition in Colossians chapter 3 from verse 18, where he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So there are these responsibilities that each 
has for the, toward the other. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And then he speaks to servants or slaves. Then he speaks to masters in chapter 4, verse 1, and so on. And all of these relationships, especially in the domestic relationships, there's a need for mutual understanding and cooperation. One man put it like this, each for all and all for each. There's a soccer team in England, and in their stadium they have above the tunnel where the players come out. Side before self. Side before self. You know what that is? That's a message to each player. It's not about you. It's about the team. It's about the side. That's what they call it, the the side. Side before self. And all that we could carry that out in our Christian lives. Each for all and all for each. Think of this in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26. And he's talking here about the household of faith, not just the domestic household. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're all in this together. And we need the grace of God in order for that to be the case. Because the rest of the family know us so well, because they're often in those circumstances, we're off our guard. Home then is often the hardest place in which to witness and shine for the Lord. It is. But here again, the grace of God comes to our aid. Someone said, Is it fair to say that the Savior himself spent 30 years in the home training for three years in the ministry? It's an interesting thought, that isn't it? Was it not the observation and the experience of his way in the home that enabled his mother Mary to say with such confidence to other people in their problem, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. She knew him. She knew him well because they lived cheek by jowl. She saw the real Jesus who is perfect, the Holy One. But for us, we have to remember that home is a very great testing place and it is a training ground. And sometimes we just don't pass the test. We need the grace of God to live for him, not just out in the world, but in behind the four walls at home. There's something else here. We need the grace of God in order that we might have a priority that is right. That is to give the Lord the first place in everything. This is what Paul taught the Colossians. Think of that great text. This is what I'm basing it on. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Talking about Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In other words, that in all things it might be Jesus first. 
Many years ago, there was a man in this country who started a campaign. And in connection with that religious campaign, he gave out little lapel badges. And on that little lapel badge, it said in silver letters, Jesus first. Now, it's very easy to wear a badge, Jesus first. It may not be so easy to put that into practice. Is Jesus first? Is it true that he gets the priority? That in all things, he might have the preeminence. This is true in heaven. The highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right. He has the preeminence in heaven. We talk about going to heaven and seeing our loved ones. We talk about going to see the apostles and great men of God and women of God of the past. But heaven, first and foremost, is about Christ. That he might have the preeminence. And in our Christian lives, he must come first. Didn't the Lord teach this? If you study the Gospels, you'll find that he repeatedly talked about this. That if you didn't hate father or mother and sister and brother and yourself and deny them, then you are not worthy of being his disciple. That's what he said. In other words, you must put me first. You must put me first. And this is a great challenge for us. I've probably told you this before. When my dear mother was passing away, I was so upset thinking about her being gone from my life. And I told her that. And I said, Mom, I don't know how we're going to go on living without you in our lives. And she said to me, life goes on and it will go on. I said, Mom, but we, we love you so much. I remember looking at me, she said, son, but you must love the Lord more. You must love the Lord more. And that went into my heart like a knife. And I thought, do I love the Lord more than my flesh and blood? Do I love the Lord more than my relatives, than my children, than my wife, than my parents, than my siblings? Do I? That in all things he might have the preeminence. This is what Paul is challenging the Colossian church with. To put Jesus first. That's not easy. But that is our duty. This is what we're called to do. Matthew 6.33 But seek ye, not second or third or fifth, but seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You think of all the things that you think you need in your life. I don't care what it is. Just think of all the things that you think you can't really live without. And remember this. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Lord has promised he will add those things to you. In other words, the things that you need. In the context, it's what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What clothing are we going to wear? How are our needs going to be met? And the Lord says if you put the Lord first... 
then all those necessary things He will add to your life. Because He must have the preeminence. There is this matter of a priority. You see, with the Lord in first place, everything else will fall into its rightful place. Many, many years ago when, and you can look up old pictures, ladies used to wear long gloves going out to any occasion. It's amazing. Concerts, any sort of public occasion, they would wear these lovely gloves. And when the ladies wore long gloves going out to a party or an occasion like that, there was a small girl struggling with the problem of where to put the unending series of buttons on these gloves. When her mother explained, it's really simple, dear. Get the top one in the top buttonhole and all the others will follow right to the last one. That's kind of like the shirt, isn't it? If you don't put the button in the right buttonhole, everything's off work. So you get it in the right hole, everything follows. This is the way it is when you put the Lord first. This is truly the case in the spiritual life. Give him first place in your life and everything else will follow right. You'll find out that it will. But you see, the trouble is that there's something that enters in And it's that wretched individual called self. Self. And how subtly self enters in even into our spiritual service. And this is a challenge to people like me in ministry. You know, some men are so busy in the work. They're so busy. The question is, is it with a single eye to God's glory... Or is there some other vestige of an unworthy motive that's entering in? Where they might be seeking in some way after their own glory. It's possible. We need to beware of what the Song of Solomon calls the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. These little jackals is the word that enter in among the vines, destroying the crop. self Therefore, self-control is of the utmost importance. If the Lord is to have the preeminence, but how do we have that control? How can it be exercised? Well, this is where we need grace. Lord, I need grace to put you first. It's not enough for me to try to exercise self-control by willpower and determination. Because that will only carry you so far. But rather the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, as the word is translated in one place, self-control. Temperance. Temperance, it means self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that He gives. It is of His grace. It is He and not we who will do it. If only we will look to him for it. And so, as one of our hymns puts it, not I, but Christ. Be honored, loved, exalted. Paul in Galatians chapter 2 stated it like this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. This is the very essence of the accomplishment of grace when we're living for God's glory, putting Jesus first. There is the priority for which we need grace. And there's one other thing that Paul spoke to the, to the Colossians about, and that is the need for grace in the Lord's service in the area of persistence. We need grace to continue on without backsliding. You might think to yourself as a Christian, well, I would never backslide. I'm, I'm too long in the tooth. Spiritually, I've been on the road too long ever to backslide. You say that, you're already in trouble. You could be part of the way down that road to full backsliding with that attitude. Backsliding is a perennial problem among Christians. I'm not talking about full out going back to the world and all of the sinful behavior that you were into before you got saved. I'm talking about sliding back, regressing to some degree, not going forward. Because the fact is, if you're standing still, you're going back. We've got to be walking. We've got to be moving. We've got to be advancing in the Christian life. But as one of the minor prophets puts it, my people are bent to backsliding from me. What does that mean? It means that there's something endemic within us in our flesh that leads us away from God and in the wrong direction. And it's got to be fought. We have right here in Colossians chapter 4 a very signal example of one who is as a red flag to all Christians. You'll see him mentioned there in the chapter, verse 14 of Colossians 4. Luke, the beloved physician, that's Dr. Luke, the one who wrote Luke's gospel, and Demas greet you. Now notice that Demas and Luke is one of those who's sending greetings to the church. He's serving the Lord alongside Paul. He's in the work of the ministry. Demas sends his greetings to you. Now turn over and turn over in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember that this is the last letter that Paul has written in the New Testament. These are his closing words. He's soon to be martyred. He talks about that in chapter 4. I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he was going to die soon. Here's what he said from verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Hurry up and come to see me. Why? For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Yes, Demas, my fellow laborer, 
Demas, my fellow preacher, he's left me. He has forsaken me. He has abandoned me. And it's because he has loved this present world and he's departed. It is my view that Demas was never converted. That's what I believe. Other men may believe something else. My own belief is that Demas was never saved. Because my Bible tells me if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Paul clearly says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The love of the Father was not in him. See, not as all, not, all is not gold that glitters. And sometimes we're shocked at those who have been in ministry, who have been in the service of God, maybe on the mission field or in the pulpit, and they go away from God. They go away from the ministry, from the service of God, and they go off and live wicked lives. And you think to yourself, what in the world happened there? Well, Peter would tell you what happened there. That's a case of the dog returning to his vomit. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's taken from Peter's epistle. You know, hogs are funny. They, they love the mud and the muck. They do. You get an old hog there out in the hog lot and there's some water gathered in a pool. He loves nothing more than to get down in there and to wash himself and to roll about in the mud. And you can wash him off and within a short time he's back down in the mud hole again. The dog returns to its vomit. Both things that are taken from nature that are illustrations of spiritual peril. People who are not saved. They profess to be saved. They looked like they were saved. It, to all outward appearances they were saved. But the end result shows that they never were. Because they're now back in their natural element. Thomas Watson said, there's a, all the difference in the world between a hog and a sheep. When a sheep gets off the path and falls into the muck, his desire is to get out of it and to get cleaned up. When a hog gets off the path and gets down into the muck, he does it deliberately and he wallows in it. He wants to be there. That's the difference between the nature of one who is a true sheep of Christ and one who is a hog, so to speak. Not saved at all. This is a fearful thing, is it not? Demas, as we contemplate his sad decline, we remember the words of a famous old Puritan preacher, John Bradford. He was watching a prisoner handcuffed to a policeman going off to his reward. And he said, there goes John Bradford, but for the grace of God. How true that is. There go I, but for the grace of God. We need grace in order that we might not backslide and get away from the Lord. We're kept by the power of God. We have all the power of God himself at our disposal to keep us on the road. 
There is no need for us to get away from God. There's no need for us to backslide. There's no need for us to get away from our Bible reading and our prayer and our service for God and our worship of God. We're to press on. And this is something for which we need the grace of God, the grace of perseverance, the grace of persistence. And it's that that Paul is encouraging in the Colossian church. Continue on. Grace be with you. The hymn writer said, Grace wrote my name in God's eternal book. It was grace that gave me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Grace taught my wandering feet to tread the heavenly road, and new supplies each hour I meet while pressing on to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made my eyes overflow. Tis grace has kept me to this day and will not let me go. Grace, all the work shall crown through everlasting days. It lays in heaven the topmost stone and well deserves the praise. Oh, let thy grace inspire my soul with strength divine. May all my powers to thee aspire and all my days be thine. May the Lord give us a determination that by his grace we will go on with him. We'll serve him to the best of our ability. Lord, give us grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.